0: I travel a lot for work, um, covering news all over Latin America and I've never really had any issues beyond a simple line of questioning of, of what were you doing in, in Colombia or what were you what were you doing in Nicaragua.
1: I'm Malika Bilal, and this week on the take, we're starting with a story about what happened to one of Al Jazeera's reporters, Manuel Rapalo.
0: When you're stopped after your passport's been flagged or after your name's been on a list, the Uh, behavior and the line of questioning from the moment that you cross into um, immigration at the airport, returning through a port of entry in the United States, um, you can tell the difference.
1: Manuel covers immigration, Mexico and Latin America for Al Jazeera from her bureau in Mexico City. He has dual citizenship in the U.S. and Honduras. And back in January, he found himself in a strange situation at an airport in Washington, D.C.,
0: I handed the immigration officer my passport, the expression on his face immediately changed, just sort of said, hmm, um, you need to go into secondary screening. And he takes my passport, he puts it in a little plastic box. Um, I'm immediately um, separated from my travel documents. It's handed over to another officer who then escorts you into the secondary screening room, which is um, kind of a euphemism for the interrogation room. As I started traveling more into the United States uh, from trips to Mexico and trips abroad for assignments, both the line of questioning and the searches became a little bit more invasive to the point where they're opening every single compartment of your luggage, looking um, through my reporter notebooks.
1: Manuel says he's been facing secondary screenings every time he's crossed the border this year. And it's not just Manuel. It turns out all kinds of people are facing increased scrutiny. What do they have in common? The migrant caravans coming to the border from Central America. And that's what we're talking about today on The Take. Secret lists, passport alerts, and whether or not the U.S. government has the right to track journalists, human rights workers, and lawyers at the border. In March of this year, a local TV station in San Diego, California, ran a bombshell report.
2: For months, U.S. journalists and attorneys felt they were being sometimes targeted by their own government and now leaked documents from a government source show their fears were warranted.
0: So the individuals listed include 10 journalists, 7 of whom are U.S. citizens, a U.S. attorney and 48 people from the U.S. and other countries labeled as organizers, instigators or their roles unknown
1: they had got a hold of leaked documents that showed that the United States government had put together a list of people working on the migrant crisis at the U.S.-Mexico border near San Diego. This document that got leaked included photos, info from social media, and even details on what cars they drove. The people on the list included human rights advocates, lawyers, and journalists. Some of the people listed were subject to heightened scrutiny.
0: One photojournalist said that she was pulled into secondary inspections three times and asked questions about who she saw and photographed in Tijuana shelters. The
1: congressional committee that oversees border agencies demanded a copy of the list and an explanation of why individuals were included, as well as any other secret dossiers that may exist. Manuel, you weren't on that leaked list, but like a lot of the people who were, you'd notice that you were getting all this increased scrutiny when you tried to cross the border. So by March, you were already a bit suspicious about what was happening to you at the border. What was your reaction to the San Diego document? How did you find out about it?
0: I was on a flight. I was on my way to, to Colombia, to the Colombia-Venezuela border, and I get a phone call from a friend uh, who is also a journalist. She's a, a photojournalist that covers the border. I've worked alongside of her in a lot of events um, in Tijuana. And basically what she was uh, saying is, uh, listen, Manny, this guy just contacted me from NBC uh, San Diego and he says that he has a list and I'm on it. And you should contact them to see if um, if you're on that list because both of us had been having issues when crossing into the United States returning from deployments to cover stories on the border or or somewhere else in in mexico and i contacted them and while i found out that i was not on that list specifically there were other people that i know who are also having this issue who weren't on that list which made us think okay this is actually a much bigger much broader kind of issue than than one list that's targeting only 50 people there is actually reason to believe that the list is a lot longer or that there are even multiple lists
1: I want to talk about the list that we know exists. The leak document, I have it here. It's called, I'm going to read it out, San Diego Sector Foreign Operations Branch, Migrant Caravan, Fiscal Year 2019, Suspected Organizers, Coordinators, Instigators, and Media. And it's dated January 9th, 2019. Now, the cover indicates that the document is a result of a joint effort between Mexican Intelligence, and the Department of Homeland Security in the U.S. Now, each person on the document is listed with a photo from their passport or social media accounts and personal information, like their date of birth, country of origin, and their alleged role that's tied to the fall 2018 migrant caravan. But also, it indicates whether officials placed an alert on the person's passport. So, Manuel, what did you think about it when the report came out?
0: I wasn't surprised by the report. It's sort of been an open secret, yeah, that that there's surveillance, that there's there's tracking of individuals and and journalists that work the border. It's sort of something that's going on now, given the rhetoric from the president that that the media is the enemy of the people. So we know that Customs and Border Patrol agents are, are emboldened by that sort of rhetoric. I was shocked that it was happening to me. I didn't, um, I think just like anybody else, I didn't expect to be another reporter kind of caught in the dragnet.
1: So what were you doing? What were you reporting on last winter that apparently got you flagged in the first place? Take us back to that specific story that you were covering then.
0: We had followed a migrant family from Honduras from a migrant shelter in Tijuana to the border Um, It was the middle of the night, it was pouring rain, it was very, very cold, and there were border patrol on the other side who were saying that that family was not going to be able to make it across uh, the border, I believe that they were planning to jump, and I was there um, as an Al Jazeera correspondent. I was there with uh, with our team, a producer and a camera person, and I was there with a uh, a little more than a dozen other other journalists, mostly photographers, that were there watching and um, and recording the event. At one point, I I engaged with one of the border patrol officers. Who was basically accusing all of the reporters, all of the journalists that were there, of of helping the migrants in both getting from the migrant shelters to the border? I'm like I said, I can't speak for everybody. I'm just here to watch, just here to witness. No, but you guys are going to the shelters and telling them to come over here. Uh, I suppose they were they were suggesting that we were giving them rides somehow. Um, suggesting that we were planning to help them cross into the United States and threatening us with uh, with arrest, warning us that uh, that that would be that that's a felony, that that would be um, illegal for us to do. That night, there were somewhere around a hundred, maybe as many as 150 Central American migrants who were all that night trying to cross the border, and um, the whole time we were being. Uh, kind of harassed by Border Patrol. They were shining lights and lasers at our cameras, uh, the kind of lights that could really damage the sensor on a camera. They were taking photos and video uh, of us on their cell phones. And I never told them my name, but it was shortly after that experience that was, like I said, midnight, January 1st, New Year's Eve. And, um, And I flew back to the United States on on January 5th, only a few days later. And that was the first time that I got pulled aside for secondary screening.
1: Do you think this is a willful misunderstanding of how journalism works or do you think these agents were genuinely confused about who you were and what you were doing?
0: I think a number of things. One is that Border Patrol, their mandate is very broad and they operate more like an intelligence agency, like an intelligence gathering operation than they do a customs inspection kind of agency, as you'd see in some other country. And I also think that they're more politically motivated now, possibly than ever, and they're emboldened by the rhetoric of the president who has vilified migrants, who has vilified the media, but they have the backing of U.S. law. So they're not necessarily overstepping their bounds legally. There's just no laws yet that have evolved to grant everybody who's there working, like journalists and lawyers, uh, the types of protections that, I mean— if we're, just just from the observations from the outside, you would say these are all violations of our rights. But um, honestly, Border Patrol, have, they have the authority to do what they're doing.
1: Manuel's not wrong. Customs and Border Patrol can search your belongings without a warrant at a port of entry. But a lot of people are questioning the extent of this authority. And some are finding out for themselves that it has a pretty wide reach.
3: My name is Nora Phillips, and I am the co-founder and legal director of an organization called Al Otro Lado. I've been an immigration attorney for 12 years. I was born and raised in Wisconsin, and I am of Irish-Italian ancestry.
1: Nora's organization provides legal advice to people trying to seek asylum in the U.S. She's on that San Diego list. But when she went to Mexico back in January, months before the list was leaked, she was going there on vacation. But Mexican officials stopped her, and she never got out of the airport in Guadalajara.
3: We landed at about midnight. Um, It was me, my husband, my best friend, and my daughter. And we were going through Mexican immigration, and um, after they swiped my passport they told me that there was an alert on it. They um, took me into a back area. Um, it was like an office. And I they asked me a bunch of questions. Like, it was probably an hour and a half of questioning. So they wanted to know all the languages that I spoke. They wanted to know if I've ever um, had any weapons training. They wanted to know if I had any weapons on me. Um, They wanted to know how much money I had on me. And they kept asking me over and over again about whether or not I had any uh, pending criminal investigation or anything. And I said no.
1: Then, Nora told Mexican authorities about a lawsuit her office had filed against the Trump administration for the family separation policy at the border back in 2018.
3: There was a real turning point, though, when I said, like, this is what I do for a living. We have this litigation pending against the Department of Homeland Security. And this happened to my colleague, um, you know, within the last couple of weeks as well. And then they said, oh, OK, OK, because they kept saying, like, the, the reason that they place these alerts is that they, your country doesn't want you to leave. When it became clear that I was going to be separated and sent back, they let my my husband and my child come over. And at that point, I said to my child, I, uh, Mommy can't go because I have an alert on my passport. And she started just, like, sobbing hysterically. I uh, asked... the two women uh, it was two female immigration officers Um, if they were going to send I said can she stay with me Um, because I I can't do this to her and they said yes and I said are you going to take me to a detention center and they said no um, because we're sending you back today Uh, and then I said are you going to separate me from her Um, and so they said no and um, it's really hard to talk about this stuff without crying. <laughs> so I stayed there with, with my daughter. She calmed down when she realized that she could stay with me. Um, and we just waited out like eight and a half hours.
1: And then Nora and her daughter were put on a flight back to the U.S., Nora says having this kind of scrutiny put on her at border crossings keeps her from doing her job because it makes it so much harder to work directly with clients in Tijuana who are trying to seek asylum in the U.S.
3: And what that feels like to not be able to practice the thing that you're, the, the one thing that you're able to do to help. I have a law degree and experience in immigration law, and And this is — these are massive human rights violations. How am I not going to do everything I can to use this to try to help as many people as I can?"
1: So is this legal? Can the government track these private citizens and subject them to this kind of search? The American Civil Liberties Union says it's not. They filed a suit against Customs and Border Patrol and other departments, including the FBI, for spying on and maintaining a secret watch list of humanitarians working at the U.S.-Mexico border. Brian Griffey also thinks the legality is questionable.
2: Uh, The legal basis of it is uh, vague and overbroad.
1: Griffey works for Amnesty International. He and his colleagues dug into the issue of politically motivated harassment of civilians at the border, specifically human rights workers, after the San Diego dossier was leaked. So our producer, Nay interviewed him on the legal aspect of all this, and he helped us understand it.
2: The legal framework that's been leveraged is uh, the criminal law on uh, human smuggling.
1: So the law is supposed to target those who are bringing people into the U.S. illegally. Griffey says that legal framework, it just doesn't hold up as a justification for keeping tabs on lawyers and activists and journalists.
2: Just in December 2018, at the start of the month, uh, the U.S. uh, uh, Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit in California, uh, already struck down the very provision that authorities indicated they're applying in these cases as unconstitutional, precisely because it's overbroad. And the the the, the, uh, the ruling specifically noted that the Trump administration had made clear its intention uh, to uh, misuse the criminal justice system in order to target both professional uh, and lay people providing legal advice to asylum seekers and others on the border.
1: And not only that. Griffey and his colleagues think the U.S. government is tracking more people than showed up on that San Diego list.
2: It goes beyond this one surveillance list. Uh, we interviewed about uh, 15 others uh, who um, uh, were in uh, active in all four U.S. Uh, border states uh, bordering on Mexico uh, and had also apparently been targeted. Uh, for their constitutionally protected views and speech. In some cases, they were simply um, questioned. In others, they uh, had uh, uh, travel restrictions imposed upon them. And in the most serious and alarming cases, they were subjected to a false arrest uh, and arbitrary detention, including partial stripping uh, that were intended to compel them uh, to reveal more information about their activities under these um, unlawful uh, interrogations as part of this criminal dragnet that was targeting them based on their views and speech. This raises a number of questions, including whether other geographical areas where the uh, U.S. Customs and Border Protection is active had their own similar watch lists.
1: So, we asked him, what's the solution?
2: Ultimately, Congress needs to uh, step in, uh, close this protection gap uh, by amending uh, this human smuggling legislation to make clear that it it cannot be used to prosecute individuals based on their um, uh, humanitarian activities, uh, whether that's providing legal assistance, uh, water for thirsty people, or any other type of support uh, which is uh, already protected under U.S. law and which the Department of Homeland Security is already prohibited from doing.
1: And there is interest in this in Congress. Arizona Senator Tom Udall and others sent a letter to DHS after the leaked document came out. They said they were concerned about the implication that the U.S. government was gathering intelligence on private citizens. And DHS finally responded back in July. Homeland Security's acting inspector general said they're conducting an investigation and will eventually release a public report. We asked the Department of Homeland and Border Patrol about all of this, about what information they collect on journalists and activists and why, and about whether they have deliberately restricted travel by putting alerts on people's passports. They didn't get back to us. Back when the San Diego dossier was leaked, Customs and Border Patrol eventually conceded that, yes, they were collecting information on journalists and others. They said they were trying to gather evidence on events those people might have witnessed that could lead to legal action. But they denied that they target journalists for inspection based on their reporting. Amnesty International and the ACLU aren't the only ones who are critical of what's happening here. The Committee to Protect Journalists told us that, quote, "...these actions undermine press freedom and threaten the rights of journalists and their ability to protect their sources." We asked our reporter, Manuel Rapallo, if what he has experienced at the border has made him think about changing the way he works and the stories he covers.
0: It hasn't made me not want to be a journalist anymore, not at all, but it but it absolutely has changed my behavior. I do things a lot differently now when I travel. Um if I can, if I'm flying to the United States, I am not traveling with a laptop or with any used SD cards if I can I wipe my phone before I go removing apps like WhatsApp I have a trip coming up to visit family in the United States and I I mean every time I think about it it just the best that I could describe is just this unnecessary source of anxiety and I think that anybody uh who's who's maybe thinking, oh, well, you know, this would never happen to me. That's not true at all. This could happen to anybody. This isn't just happening to journalists or human rights attorneys. It's happening to people that um, that are very outspoken about the issue of immigration. It's people that are critical of the way that ICE is managing the crisis at the border. It's happening to everyday people.
1: And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Ney Alvarez with Priyanka Tilvey, Amy Walters, Alexandra Locke, Dina Kispe, Morgan Waters, and me, Malika Bilal. Luke Rohr was the sound designer. Natalia Aldana is the social media producer. Graylin Brashear is Al Jazeera's head of audio. If you haven't subscribed to the show yet, go to aljazeera.com slash thetake. You can find subscribe links there. And follow us on Twitter and Instagram. You'll find us at AJ The Take. We'll be back next week.